Welcome back, everybody. My name is Dan Linhart, and on today's episode, we are talking to Justin Mast. Justin is the founder and CEO of Bloomscape, a Detroit-based modern online garden center delivering the largest variety of quality houseplants directly from the greenhouse. As a serial entrepreneur, Justin first started a plant stand at nine years old out of his parents' greenhouse that grew to be a local phenomenon. Justin launched Bloomscape in 2018 to reinvent the way consumers purchase and care for plants. In my conversation with Justin, we were able to unpack and discuss two incredibly important topics when it comes down to products and the people behind them. First, increasing impact by delivering meaningful products that provide high value. And secondly, creating technology that allows customers to have an excellent and meaningful experience, a human experience. Justin and his team are at the forefront of creating a digital product and experience that makes a stronger connection between human and human and human and nature. It didn't take me long to realize Justin's passion to build incredible products through innovative thinking with and for his customers in the world. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Here we go. Justin, so good to be here with you today. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited about our conversation. We've got had a chance over the last oh, 6 to 12 months to to have some conversations and get to know one another and get to hear a little bit about your journey and it's always been great to to get caught up. I know our listeners are going to uh, really enjoy this. So again, super excited. Thanks for being with us. But I uh, um, wanted to throw it to you real quick, just to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, a little bit about your, your journey as an entrepreneur and the current space you're in and what's going on there. Yeah. So uh, I'm Justin Mast. I'm the founder and CEO of Bloomscape. So we are really, we're reinventing the garden center for a whole new generation of mm. plant parent and gardener. So we see uh, a big opportunity to change the way that, that people buy plants and, and care for their plants, both inside and outside of the home. So that's, that's our big focus. Uh, we started just a couple of years ago, under three years ago, with a focus on indoor plants. Hmm. And over the last uh, few years, we've added um, some herbs and some vegetables and we're branching out into uh, outdoor and patio plants this coming spring. Great. So we're, um, yeah, we're having a lot of fun with that. We're based in Detroit, something we're pretty proud of. Yeah. Um, there's a, a pretty amazing uh, business community and startup and creative community here in the city that, that we're a part of. So we, that, that's something uh, unique to us. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll dig into a, a lot of the other pieces, but that's, that's who we are. Yeah, absolutely. You said a really interesting term that I'd love for you to maybe define a little bit, but plant parent, that might be a little bit new for some <laughs> of our listeners and just the market in general. I know when we first started talking and just our experience with Vera, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later, but that whole idea of plant parent, I remember hearing that in our office and I'm thinking, tell me more about that. What, what is <laughs> Go into that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for our customers, um, I think one of the things we we love to see and that we're we're supporting is this idea that um, you know not everything in your home has to be this sort of object on display. Hmm. I think the things that are the most meaningful for us have either a story behind them or we have a relationship hmm. to in some way. And so I think plants almost uh, you know a little bit like pets and a, and a little bit like having kids is mm -hmm. one of those things where you you care for them. Uh, you have a responsibility, but there's also that's part of the rewarding experience. And so people have started to refer to themselves as plant parents or plant moms and plant, <laughs> plant dads. And yeah, um, I think it's a, a way of saying I'm a gardener, mm -hmm. um, but especially with indoor plants where you have, you know, maybe if like, I think the plants are a little bit more singled out. You may have like a big bird of paradise mm -hmm. or a cool pothos on your shelf. And so um People refer to themselves as plant parents and we love it. Yeah. I love what you said there. The story behind whatever you're the subject or object you're talking about. It's, uh, I mean, I do the same with my kids. People say, 
you know, tell me about what's going on with Caleb or, or uh, one of my, my other four kids. Um, and I always lead with a story, you know, because yeah. they're so funny and yeah. just watching and uh, hearing about, cause to be able to tell how they're doing and growing and developing, there's a story behind it. So I love that. Um, that makes a ton of sense. You also said reinvent, reinvent gardening or reinvent this idea of owning and taking care of plants that insinuates yeah. that whatever is going on now, um, there might be a problem with, or you might see an opportunity to change that. Talk about that a little bit. Yep. Well, so, you know, I grew up in the greenhouse business and come from a, a long line, five generations of previous kind of greenhouse owner operators. And when I was, when I was coming up, uh, I was watching the box stores really take over the garden center business in, mm. in the U S mm -hmm. and so, um, I think they did some good things. I think they, you know, there's a, there's a Lowe's or a home Depot on in, in every suburban neighborhood in the country. And I mm -hmm. think, or, you know, Walmart garden center. And so I think it, it gave like access to fast, cheap, plants and garden centers to a lot of those communities um, where there maybe weren't already independent garden centers, but they stripped a lot of value out of the way people buy plants. I think mm -hmm. we've, we've seen a loss of, um, you know, people in the store who know what they're talking about, who know how to guide people to the right plants. It's not a place you'd go back to with pictures of your plants to get tips and advice like you might have with mm -hmm. one of the more older school like independent garden centers. And, and then eventually over time, the quality of the plants dropped, um, you know, certainly how they're cared for in the store. Um, but also, you know, I think in, in, in a race to really shave pennies off the cost of plants, they've really squeezed the industry, the horticulture industry, um, and a lot of the quality and the value out of the plants that are sold. And so, mm -hmm. I grew up pretty uh, with a front front row seat to what was happening there, and you know, for, for me, this was a big contrast to a different experience I had, which mm. was, um, you know, my parents let me start my own little plant stand, kind of like a lemonade stand, yeah, um, but selling geraniums, mm -hmm. and as a as a little kid, I think eight or nine years old. And so uh, what started as kind of a, like a fun little thing to do on a Saturday, you know, by the time I was in high school, uh, turned into a, a pretty big, like uh, all spring operation where we yeah. would sell plants to people directly from the greenhouse. Hmm. And it was a chance for, for me to talk to people directly about the plants they were buying. I think helping mash people with the right plants was mm -hmm. something I saw added a lot of value, but people were obsessed with the idea of getting plants right from the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's, it's a bit of what I think became into like farm stands and, yeah. you know, that idea of getting a little closer to how things are made and how things are grown. And so, yeah, for us at Bloomscape, I think, really trying to reinvent the back end, how plants mm -hmm. move about the country, the supply chain, how it gets to your front door. Um, and then the information you get when you're buying plants and uh, everything that goes into a, a, a modern retail experience that we're really crafting around doing this better. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll mention one last thing, probably quickly, we can dive into it more if you want to, but there's uh, a new generation of people on the scene who are really have gotten into gardening and plants. And, you know, it's we millennials were sort of like the missing gardening generation for, for a while. Right. right. Like within the industry, people were all at, always asking where are the millennials? And um, we, we came into the scene a little late, but we, we've come on pretty strong and we're a group that we like to shop differently. We, I think mm. we have higher expectations in a lot of ways. And so that's our core audience and who are really focusing on crafting a, a superior garden center experience for. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask a, a follow-up question on, so speaking of millennials, um, you mentioned there a core audience, core user, almost attributing a lot of where Bloom, Bloomscape's growth 
to that market. Yep. And um, knowing that millennials see um, plant parenthood um, as a lifestyle and a passion versus um, a decorative object that I'm going to put on a shelf. So yes. that how would you coach or advise maybe up and coming entrepreneurs that maybe have an idea? How would they translate that to any business idea if they're targeting millennials? What advice would you give them? I mean, um, good question. I mean, we're, I, I get so focused on Bloomscape. I have to think for a minute about how to generalize that, but yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think crafting any strong business model, is really doing the iterative work to, to find the balance between uh, how you can really provide value for a group of people and mm. how that creates a, a business model that can outcompete the existing structure or the mm. existing model. And so um, one very big piece of that is understanding your customers. Mm. And I think thinking ahead, thinking about trends and sort of what are emerging ways of doing things in this case, shopping or gardening. Mm -hmm. um, I think what, what I'll admit is that in our case at, at the surface level, you know, e-commerce as a shopping pattern is pretty well established. I think we, we didn't invent that. Um, right. there, there are a lot of, there's a lot of precedent there to show that trend and, and how we millennials like to shop online. I mean, we look up to, brands like Warby Parker in a way mm -hmm. in Allbirds and Harry's as inspiration in, in that. Um, I think the harder work has been figuring out how to make plants are different though. Right. And I think they're, it's perishable. Uh, the way, the way you construct a supply mm -hmm. chain with perishable product is different. Um, and so for us, a lot of the work was figuring out how to get the back end business model to align with what we could what we knew there would be demand for on the front end. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was the first phase. I actually think since we started there, now it's coming around a little bit and we are seeing new, we're getting to know our customers in a new way. And that's opened up some opportunities to really kind of shape and mold mm -hmm. the experience beyond just what I think we were initially trying to mimic. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know. That's a pretty big answer. My Hopefully I'm answering your question. No, that's great. I think you hit on at least what I've seen it. Now I'm on the tail end. I mean, the very tail end of millennials. I'm, I don't, I'm an old millennial. I don't know what Same. the, what was I'm before. An old millennial too. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I've seen, I mean, I see it in myself for sure, but um, just working with a lot of millennials, both at our company, but just in just other spheres of life and you hit the nail on the head is value. And they're just, they have to feel it. You know, yeah. it's a relational, they're buying in. I, I feel like um, they're buying into a brand because it provides value way beyond the product. There's experience there. There's meaning there's impact, not just to me, but also community in the world. And so it seems like your experience from growing up, um, I think what a fifth generation um, gardener is, it was a way of life. It was relational, you know, customers would come in and not only sell plants, but also be able to say, um, if you have questions, call me, or if you need anything, I can help you take care of that versus where you saw it going, which is more transactional. Yeah. You, know, you buy from a big box, you go home and that's really about it. And if it dies, well, they just go out and buy a new one rather than maybe notice that it's maybe it's not growing right and it needs to have care. Yep, that, that's right. There's really two layers to it because I, I think at the same time you've got Amazon now, which is mm -hmm. doing very well. Uh, <laughs> right. And I think that I think the purchase patterns were happening there, convenience um, and price being being the foundation there. I think now we can build on that and, mm. you know, exactly. People are looking for authentic brands. Yeah. Uh, and by authentic brands, we mean real people you're buying product from who right. care about the product and you. Um, and yeah, I think that that's been a big differentiator for us too. I mean, we, we know our growers, we, mm -hmm. we, um, we know the plants well. I think that that level of trust we've built with our customers is a really big 
part of it. And I think, you know, I, I wasn't sure how interested our customers would be in our backstory. And I think we actually initially, uh, I think undershot telling our story mm-hmm. and more, the more we started to open up and, and talk about our history in the industry, the more we started to show kind of behind the scenes photos and, and footage of where the plants were, um, the greenhouse spaces, where they came from. I mean, our, our customers kept really positively reinforcing that. So it's, yeah. and it is a conversation. I think that's kind of a cliche thing to say about brand, but, but it is, it's true. Yeah. It's a really good conversation. Absolutely. And you mentioned a story there. Uh, we talked about that a little bit earlier, but I think, I just feel like humans are hardwired for story. I mean, before yeah. any sort of paper or any sort of communication device, everything, I mean, it was oratory. It was being able to tell stories from memory. Uh, we, I think we crave stories. We like good stories. Um, I don't know how many times, you know, you might walk into someone's house and like, oh, that's a really cool piece of that's a cool coffee table or, or a cool table and a lot of times it's like oh you want to hear the backstory of that or that's a cool uh cutting board you know sometimes you walk in and you see uh, this huge charcuterie display is and it's on this beautiful board and they'll just say yeah do you want to hear the backstory i got this re- piece of reclaimed wood and this person offered to you know sand it down and i mean there's just backstory to products and i think people that's get right. a buzz out of telling it yeah um I want to go maybe back just a little bit. We'll come back to Bloomscape, but wanted to maybe take a trip down memory lane because I think this is really interesting. It's it's fun, and I think there's so many lessons and inspiration and learning when you hear entrepreneurs' backstory and kind of like where they came from. So one story in particular, um, this space called Practice Space in Detroit, where you said you're from. And um, a really cool story that I read as far as it started, uh, and again, you are going to correct me because I'm going to ask you to tell a little bit about it, but that it started with this old building trying to replace the facade on it so that it made the neighborhood, which sounded like it had gone down, um, and to make it look like business was coming back or, or booming. And after that, it went into, well, we can do more with this space. So tell me a little bit about it. Uh, just take some time, a few minutes yes. to tell us about practice space, your learnings there and, and what happened. Yeah, the it, practice space is, uh, was a pretty special project. Um, so I, I've been an entrepreneur one way or, or the other for, for most of my life. And I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. So I've always sort of, that's you didn't have a choice. You didn't have a choice. So I, I went to, I took a little detour and you know, I went to business school. I was uh, part of starting a couple businesses out of college, but I took a little detour and went to architecture school at the university of Michigan. And I had a class there that was led by a professor who, um, who had this idea that we could, that you could do things architectural or art installations as a way of re-energizing neighborhood development. Mm -hmm. And so we, as a class, I think there were 12 of us. um, uh, Our professor had contacted this, uh, the owner, Jerry, the owner of this old auto garage uh, that was, you know, in an, uh, it was an abandoned building in a almost, almost entirely vacant neighborhood in Mm. Detroit. Um, Not entirely, but almost. Uh, with the idea of doing something there that might uh, catalyze some interest. And so we did this for, for those listening, this will be impossible to describe in words. <laughs> you can please look up practice space to trade online and look at what, look at what my classmates and I did. It was a pretty wild installation, but we changed the facade of this building. And um, I was part of the team that was tasked with being there on site to, to install this facade. Okay. And so me and a couple other classmates spent a lot of time there putting it together and we were meeting neighbors. We were also getting to know other entrepreneurs and business people in Detroit, people who, who were, who had either like come up in the city and saw a possibility um, and a reason to stay or people who were, had heard about Detroit and were coming in from all over the world. Um, you know, places like uh, Germany or New York mm. or LA or whatever. And so it really got my imagination going. And 
um, you know, my plan had been to, to take a job in probably New York City after grad school and uh, instead decided to move to Detroit from, from U of M and get in the mix somehow to do something with this space. And so me and two other co-founders, Austin and Donnie, kind of set out to figure out a way to, to do something with this. And what we found was that there were a lot of other people we were meeting in Detroit at the time who were, um, it was sort of this new brand of entrepreneurship we were watching where people were coming in, they were buying up old buildings, old mm. spaces for pennies on the dollar and looking to start a restaurant or mm. a coffee shop or a clothing company or a community center or a spoken word uh post um post like prison landing mm. pad and like all these different things are bubbling up and we we thought man there's got to be a way to create a space for people working on these projects mm -hmm. and then to connect them with resources that help these projects really happen mm -hmm. and um it was pretty meta because that's what we were trying to do at the same time. And we mm -hmm. were going through that journey ourselves. And so we were trying to design this, the kind of space and, and community that we thought we needed to do things like that. And so mm -hmm. we brought in um, a group of advisors, people who are established in the city and architecture, uh, financing, um, you know, construction, building and construction, business business people so we brought in a bunch of advisors we put a residency together and brought in 12 students uh post-grad students to come and be one-year residents to help business you know help these founders who are trying to start businesses and then we mm -hmm. went out and recruited uh six businesses to be to go through this program and so it was on a shoestring budget like yeah. like a serious <laughs> budget um and it was intense i mean we we didn't have any idea what we were getting ourselves into i mean we we brought a lot of energy and we brought a lot of good people into it but it was it was a handful and mm -hmm. um from a financial standpoint this was a complete disaster <laughs> <laughs> it, it really didn't it didn't the, the business model didn't work um mm. but we it was open for a year we graduated all six of the projects and many of the residents and the projects have gone on to to actually have quite a bit of success that's amazing that's and awesome. yeah and and it's interesting too because we um my one of my co-founders and i we we knew we needed more help so i recruited a buddy of mine kyle who was in architecture was in architecture school with me he was practicing in chicago at the time and then he recruited his uh my other co-founder austin recruited his buddy alex to just like come and, and help and so they kyle and alex got to know each other on our project and launched um Floyd Furniture out of the space, which has gone on to be a, an amazing like direct to consumer furniture brand. And so it comes full circle because when yeah. I was looking at kicking off Bloomscape, um, Kyle was, was one of the first conversations that I had. He and I had a beer where I just was picking his brain and how they had been so successful with Floyd. And that really spurred me on to give Bloomscape a shot. Wow. So I kind of call like, I don't know if you've heard of the Yardbirds. It was this like, yeah, yeah it's sort of like, you know, Jimmy Page, and Jeff mm -hmm. Beck and Eric Clapton were part of this and they yep. all went on to do much more successful and interesting things. Right. I kind of consider it like my version of the Yardbirds. Like that's awesome. The, this like obscure project that um, was all is only relevant because of the amazing people that were a part of it. Yeah. I love hearing that, uh, you know, our, our podcast, the people of product. I mean, that's what we're about is talking, learning from, um, really exposing the individuals that are working together, seeking different perspectives, um, really in the trenches together, trying to make products, businesses, ideas come to life that create impact. Um, what an amazing story. It I mean, was wild. How, how, <laughs> I got to ask you, how does that, 
I mean, even though you said financially a failure to know that there's other businesses out there that are flourishing, man, that's gotta, that's gotta allow you to walk pretty tall on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of these things where, um, you know, it's always been a passion of mine to figure out how to leverage business to do good in the world. Mm, Um, mm. I think that's a growing interest for a lot of people. And, um, I think the hard lesson I learned with, with this project is that I think passion for a mission alone is actually, there's only so far that can go if you don't have an under, like a very strong underlying business model and Mm -hmm. economic model. And I, I think that's where, um, you know, that that's kind of the, the boring or less sexy side of it. But if right. you look at the, the organizations who've made some of the, the strongest impact or the most impact over time, mm-hmm. they have sustainable business models to go along yep. with, with their mission. Yep. And at times the, that mo- that business model has to take the front seat uh, for, for a while. And so um, that was the big lesson for me coming out of that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I am, pr- I am proud of what we did and I, I've, I feel fortunate that there were so many, uh, in the end, so many good, good things that came out of it. Mm. But I think it's, it's frustrating too. Cause I, I think had we been able to figure out a more, uh, sustainable model, mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't be just one year of it. It would have been 15 years of that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the innovators are the entrepreneurs dilemma. You got to keep moving forward, but you always looking back like, Hmm, I wonder if, yeah. <laughs> what if we would have? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, go back to Bloomscape a little bit. Um, I know that your company um, has experienced some really good growth, uh, tremendous growth in 2020. wanted to ask, you know, what do you attribute that to? Um, any theories on why the plant delivery business is booming right now? Yeah. I mean, we're, like I had said, we're, we're just under three years old. So we're still such a young company, but even prior to COVID, we, we've had pretty heavy growth. I mean, four mm. X year over year growth from, from the time we started. And so, um, you know, we're, the, the time, timing's important and timing's been good for us. I think things we've talked about, e-commerce is just growing as a way mm. to buy product. I think um, plants and gardening is becoming more important to people who shop online. And so there are some big kind of prevailing trends behind us, both of which got hyper accelerated when, Mm. when the pandemic hit and everyone was forced home. Mm. And so, um, you know, people were, you know, in some cases only had the ability to shop online or felt more comfortable shopping online. So I know across the board, e-commerce has left ahead 10 years. And so we felt that. Uh, and, and I think more, even more exciting for us is how many people have turned to plants, realized their like need to interact with nature and really cultivate a fresh, healthy space around them mm-hmm. as a result of spending more time at home. Mm-hmm. And so plants have been at, you know, one, there, there are a lot of things people have gotten into this past year, but plants have been one that I think has been really rewarding and healthy for people. And yeah. so we've yeah we saw a sharp increase in demand mm. on top of our already right. fast growing demand uh in april and may of this past year yeah that's awesome in 2021 i'm guessing things are looking you're you're bullish on 2021 yeah, definitely yeah i mean we we would be anyway but i think um but yeah i, I think we're months away from being feeling like we're in a post COVID world, Mm -hmm. uh, if not longer, hopefully not longer, but, and I I also think, you know, we've had, you know, we'll see, but we've had these, this conversation with a lot of our customers and, and just friends, frankly, who are saying, you know what, we learned some things about ourselves and about what a healthy lifestyle feels like during this, during this time. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we're, we're talking to a lot of people who, really who really enjoyed being grounded and mm. spending the time in their backyard or in their homes slowing down and you know kind of contrasting all this kind of fast-paced digital slack zoom time mm-hmm. with things mm-hmm. that are are slower um 
like having your hands in the soil or, yep. you know, watching plants grow over the, over the course of months. Yep. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, just in the, the new year, we're several, several weeks into 2021, but I think looking back, uh, with friends, what coworkers, family, whatever, um, or whoever, a common theme was just the, the renewed desire and just hope for slowing down, or at least having a rhythm yeah. where slowing down is more regular. Um, you know, because lives, you know, whether it's activities with family, kids, work, whatnot, it's easy to get in that rut or that rhythm where it's always just, you're always in, you know, fifth gear always. Um, and especially as entrepreneurs or business owners, fifth gear is easy to stay in and it's hard to slow down to get even to fourth gear sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that was, um, as hard as this year was for so many people, you know, the cliche, always looking for that silver lining for me. And I know a lot of people was that slowing down. I can only imagine gardening projects, just working with the earth, yes. some of the natural elements, um, you know, uh, nature slowing us down. So, yep. yep. Uh, so we got our star. We first uh, got to meet one another. Uh, uh, our, our company, Crema, uh, every other Friday, uh, we uh, have we dialed down work for Venture Lab Fridays. And one of the projects that we were working on uh, was a plant care app called uh, Vera, which Bloomscape purchased last year. Um, tell us a little about, tell our listeners, um, a little bit about your motivations for investing in the, this type of technology, you know, the purpose behind the purchase, and then also how you found out about Vera and about Crema. Yep. Well, uh, th this is a fun story. I think that'll be a bit of a winding, a winding journey, but, um, you know, when we launched, it was important to me when we launched at the very beginning, it was important to me that we would stay focused. And so, Although we've wanted to do indoor and outdoor plants and care products, uh, we chose to start in an area we, we felt like we could center around our cust the customer we wanted to and, and offer the most impact fast. Mm -hmm. So we started with indoor plants. Um, and, you know, right off the bat, you know, we were getting tons and tons of questions from our customers about, okay, it, it, our, our customer service line was off the hook and not because people weren't happy with their product or needed to change the orders, but they had questions about their plants. Mm. And so, um, you know, we, we had a choice to make, I think, to stay focused on just selling and delivering plants or to branch out a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, and we decided to, to try something out and we, we decided to lean into helping our, our customers be successful and investing time and resources of ours into helping our customers be successful with caring for their plants. And so uh, I tasked my, my mom, uh, my actual mom, who is a plant <laughs> expert, yep. uh, with talking with our customers and, and just answering their questions. And the reason we did that is because I was remembering, you know, when, when I was starting to get into plants on my own, you know, when you had a question, when I had a question, like, sure, you can look up stuff online, there's books, there's, there's access to information. But what I really wanted in that moment, wasn't just information, I wanted someone who understood my context, and could give me could point me in the right direction and, and give me mm -hmm. give me some actual advice. Right. And so um, I thought, you know, what? why don't and I would turn to my mom for that. And I was like, right. why why don't we set her up with our customers? And this was a huge hit. I mean, my poor mother was flooded <laughs> with emails and texts. I love this part of the story. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's thousands and thousands of interactions with our customers wow. with everything from like the common questions, like, you know, how often do I water or what are these brown spots on my leaves to, to very unique questions. Mm. Uh, and it's sometimes it branched out beyond plant advice into just like life advice. <laughs> and so did you ever get a text from her saying, Justin, what have you done? <laughs> yeah. Uh, often, <laughs> often. And so I, I had recently listened to, um, interview on masters of scale with the uh, Airbnb founders. And there mm. was an interesting point being made about sometimes you have to do something very not scalable uh, to, to find a way of providing some like very impactful scalable value. Mm. 
And mm. so we kind of gave ourselves permission to do this, but it, we knew it wasn't scalable. Um, but what we started to do was, was a couple of things. We, um, we started to catalog the, the content of the, of the conversations that my mom was having with our customers. And we, mm. we found, sure enough, there are a lot of common questions here, a lot of common themes. And so we started to create a content library so that at the very least it could speed up her response time. She could kind of plug and play a little bit more on advice she was giving regularly. Mm. Um, but it also allowed us to start to think, to start to see if we saw any impact on the business as a result of these conversations. And it, and it looked like we did. So what we did next was we started to build up the team. We, we brought in some additional people um, who could use that content library to start also helping answer questions directly with our customers. Mm. And that created another channel by which we were producing content more rapidly and answering more questions. And it was more interactions that we could not document and track for an impact on the business. And this is where we really started to notice that Sure enough, when we could help people be more successful caring for their plants, they would also buy a lot more plants. Mm-hmm. And so that that was the sort of full loop. We knew we were providing value, but we were waiting for the moment where we could ve- validate that it was positive to the business model as well. And when we had early sights on that, it allowed us to start investing even more heavily into into this approach. And so the question at that time became, all right, how do we make this scalable? Um, Sure, we've got content on the site, which is great. I mean, it brings in a lot of traffic. It is helpful in a self-serve way to our customers, Um, but it's lacking that kind of personalized for me, uh, like I'm going to a garden center and getting advice Mm. uh, type of feel. And so we did a big customer research project um, which was a blast. We did, uh, we worked with a friend of mine who's a, um, like a design researcher at Stanford and did this big customer research project. And, it, and um, one part of that was we went and visited 12 customers mm-hmm. in their homes. They didn't know who we were. We were with Bloomscape, but we visited them in their homes just to talk and to observe, uh, talk about and observe their plant care routines. Mm-hmm. And what we noticed is that people were, um, well, we noticed a lot of interesting things, but a couple of things we noticed were people were keeping lists and had notebooks where they would list all their plants and then they would have little marks or etchings or a way of keeping track of their care as they, as they went through it. Interesting. And they had a way of setting reminders or being able to just keep track of their plant care. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, we also got, we also uh, got a lot of validation that pe- once people find someone that they trust mm-hmm. when they go to advice, they will that that level of trust goes pretty deep, and people will um, will stick with that person. And so, two of our customers at the time were uh, or not two not two of the customers, but two of the people we were we were visiting. Uh, at the time we're using plant care apps and we're like, Oh, you got to check out this app that we're using. One of them was Vera. Hmm. And we thought that this is it. This is how we help people keep track of their care, right. provide personalized uh, an environment where we can deliver this content in a more personalized to you, to your plants, to where you live kind of way mm-hmm. um, at scale. And so yeah. that got us, thinking about how we, how we build up a, a, an app experience around this. Um, and then one of the obvious questions the whole time was, or do we just work with an existing app that's out there? And right. so we, we did our homework. We kind of scoped out what it would cost to develop this ourselves, um, both in terms of time and money. Mm. And then we also reached out to you to see, yeah. and, and a couple others, um, see what it would what the conversation would be like right. about purchasing the app so that was the genesis of that yeah it's amazing how <laughs> this story is so familiar one because obviously we've had uh, we've had this journey together but also what we found just by building the app was the same thing and so what you're saying is um when we st- first started out with vera 
you know, there was going to be some, some hardware, some internet of things, you know, measure soil and all that. But we pivoted because early on, even before we had very many customers, it was like, we, th- we noticed this trend in, in plant parenthood and the desire, the passion, because it was a lifestyle to take care of their plants. And so we went down that road of really building Vera to be a way to track what's most important to keep your, your plants alive and flourish and thrive. Yes. And, um, and that became validated, another word you used, through just as we continue to get more and more users on the app, which <laughs> from December of 19 to Jan- February of 20, it was crazy, just the the hockey stick escalation, because again, you're going out, you're seeking advice and uh, getting feedback from customers, modifying the app. And that's how we were able to build trust as a product company um, is really responding to their needs. And then we got to the same point of like, huh, what are we going to do with this app? Uh, now that we have it, um, and our hypothesis was the same, that maybe they'll buy plants if if they have an app that will help them take care of them. But obviously, we, we're, we're, not in the, we're not gardeners. We, we're not in the business. So our thought was, well, I wonder, um, we, we're big on partnering. And so I wonder what partners are out there. And then somehow, some way, like you said, we were able to join. And it was like, okay, this is perfect. Yeah, that's exactly, that's right. exactly right. And so um, what a great journey um, it's been for us, for sure. And just to continue to see... Um, yeah, Bloomscape grow and, and flourish, uh, pun intended, by the way. Um, <laughs> so um, let's see. Yeah, real quick, wanted to see. Um, so our, our, our podcast uh, called People Product, we believe that technology is intrinsically tied back to making people's lives better. That's the purpose. That's our mission is that uh, building technology through design, uh, cre- um, technology and culture, uh, we can help organizations and companies thrive. In your business model, how do you balance the essence of plants, meaning you know, connecting with something tangible and natural with technology that can be leveraged to improve plant owner experience? Yeah, th- this is a... Uh, really important topic for us. So I'm, I'm glad you're asking this. I mean, one of the things that, you know, as we were going through this journey of figuring out how to scale and provide that value in a new way, and really just as like starting Bloomscape saying, hey, all right, if we're going to reinvent the garden center, and if we're going to start in a digitally native way, there's, there's a question at inherent there about plants and technology. And I think one of the things that has been a value of ours from the beginning, but that we really were able to articulate um, in moving towards the app and then meeting you and, and moving forward with that was we, we want to be able to digitally enhance the plant care experience, mm-hmm. not digitize the plant care experience. And I, for, for me, the, the difference there is that in the end, the, the thing our customer wants and needs is an interaction with nature. Mm-hmm. We, we have plenty of interaction with technology around us. I don't think many of us suffer from lack of interaction with technology, mm-hmm. um, we, but we do suffer both uh, qualitatively, but in, in quantifiable ways and, and like documented ways from a, a lack of interaction with nature. And so we want to make sure that's first and foremost. And so we've we've made decisions like, yes, there are some really interesting devices that you can put in your plant that tell you whether it's wet or dry. Mm-hmm. You also have a finger uh, that is programmed to know if things are wet or dry. <laughs> it just right. so happens that when you stick your finger in, um, not only can you tell if the plant is wet or dry, but you're having that interaction that actually mm. um, benefits you. Yeah. And so it is a delicate balance. Having said that, like, like I said, we're, we're, we're moving, we're doing, we're doing work with this app, we're selling plants online. And so it's not to have some naive or kind of like um, backward looking notion, you know, idealized notion about what we're trying to build here. It's right. just how do we use technology to enhance that? Mm-hmm. So I think one of the things we loved about Vera that felt very um, like where we kind of felt like maybe there was kin- kindred spirits on the other side of who was ever designing that is 
it, it was well designed. It felt mm. fresh, but it wasn't about like trying to treat caring for your plants as this thing that needed to be, you know, there's a lot of plant appliances out there. There's a lot of devices, right. It wasn't digitizing that experience. And so, mm. um, that's the broad framework of how we think about that. I mean, we're always trying to read, like, I think we're constantly writing and articulating how we balance, balance those two things. Yeah. Not, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. I mean, the whole study of human computer interaction is based off of how, how does a human um, react well to technology? How does technology as a tool allow someone to remain human? You know, and I love that idea of digitizing um, that experience uh, with a plant so that someone can still have a good interaction with nature. So it's a tool serving that. I love that. Yes, that's right. Um, you mentioned um, that one of the things you loved about Vera was the design. Um, what are the other things as you were looking? Because um, I'm sure Vera wasn't the only plant care app that you were looking at, but what really drew you in addition to this, this, the design? Uh, what really drew you to Vera? I mean, it was the design and I, by design, I don't just mean the aesthetic. I mean, I mm. think, um, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't heavy handed. It was light. It felt light enough where it, where it needed to be. And I think that was the thing that, that really drew us as we, you know, we, we weren't looking for, um, it's the the app that somehow figured out how to jam as many features as possible into right. a, a two by four inch screen mm. um and so yeah it, it it felt thoughtful it felt uh like there was features that maybe had been stripped away as much as added mm. and so I, I think some of those things and frankly it just kind of felt like what we wanted to do ourselves and so i think that was the those were the main things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so obviously you're trying to look at the whole picture of plant purchasing and ownership with the acquisition of Vera and continued commitment to educational, uh, plant care. What's next for Bloomscape? Uh, I, I mean, everything, I mean, we, <laughs> <laughs> we've got a long way to go. I mean, yeah. I think we're, we're launching outdoor, an, a line of outdoor plants, mm this spring. And I am so excited for this. I mean, you know, I grew up surrounded by spring plants, mm. uh, you know, being in the greenhouse business, even in the winter, we were surrounded by spring plants. Yeah. And so, um, and that first plant sale that we, the flower sale that we did was spring plants. So I think this is meaningful to me in a very personal way, but, um, we're also doing things a lot differently with this program. I think the things that uh, make our indoor plant program great are different than the things that are going to make this outdoor line great. And so rather than having fully grown plants for sale on the site, we're selling kits of young plants uh, that you can plant in, in pots of your own, hanging baskets and window boxes of your own, or with, or with you know, pots that we're providing. Um, so we're giving people a bit more of a hands-on experience yeah. with this line. And so, um, you know, because, because outdoor plants and spring plants grow and change a lot faster, uh, we wanted to make sure we weren't stripping pro was probably the best part of that experience away from our customers. Mm. So this is an exciting moment for us. It's, uh, I, I think it's also a moment where we'll look a lot more like a garden center and a lot less like a indoor plant shop. Um, yeah. and so we've always seen ourselves as a, as a garden center, but I think mm -hmm. it will be more apparent now. Um, but that's just part of it. I mean, we're, we're it's growing exciting. quickly. The team is constantly, you know, we're constantly building up our team, mm. we're expanding our supply chain. We're working with new growers and vendors. Um, you know, there, there are so many things we're, we're doing and, you know, we're continuing development with the app, really honing in on how to, improve the experience and, and just take it to the next level. So, so only a few things, just, a, gotta... <laughs> <laughs> just a few things. That's awesome. Well, we love Bloomscape, um, at Karima and we're super excited again, have been really just encouraged and grateful to be a part of, of this journey with you for sure. Um, want to ask 
end with one question. It's one of my favorite questions, just more about you. Uh, what are you, what are you reading? You know, I'd love to hear what people are reading, what content they're consuming, and then maybe one thing you're learning. Uh, so I'm reading two, two books right now, one audio and one regular, um, the, the audio book I'm listening to is called Fathoms. It's a, it's a account of sort of, it's looking at whales and the relationship between whales and people uh, hmm. throughout time. It's really interesting. interesting. Um, and then I'm also reading Paul Hawkins book, um, The Ecology of Business and hmm. yep. uh, The Ecology of Commerce. And so he's, he's a pretty well respected, uh, like earth focused business man. He's the, he's also the founder, one of the two founders of Smith and Hawken, which was a upscale gardening brand, hmm. um, you know, decades ago. So that's, that's where my head's at. I'm learning a yeah. ton from both. Um, yeah. I mean, right now, top of my mind is just, I think how to create a business that that's pretty intentional about its impact on the earth. Mm. And so, um, you know, I think that's one of a, of a few big elements in what makes a business successful. And so I think coming off uh, the last couple of years of fast growth and, and mm -hmm. I think there's more, you know, we've got a company now. Um, I think thinking about how to institutionalize and sort of build into our company a lot, a lot of the values we started with. Yeah. Well, Justin, you don't have to talk to you very long to hear the passion for wanting to have impact and deliver value, both for individuals, your customers, but also the, the world and the community we live in. So it was really great catching up with you today. Thank you this so much awesome. for being here. Yeah, yeah this, I, this, this was great. a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, very fun. And uh, wish you the best and talk to you later. Okay, bye. Cheers. This episode of People of Product was produced by Larissa McCarty with support from Gabby Caton, Julie Branson, and Alexa Alfonso. Our hosts are George Brooks and Daniel Linhart. People of Product is brought to you by Crema, a digital product agency. We believe that creativity, technology, and culture can help individuals and organizations thrive. Learn more at crema.us.